Welcome to the We Talk Careers podcast brought to you by Women in ETFs. This is Christine Delano, and I'm thrilled you've joined me. If you're pursuing excellence in your own career or intrigued by the hustle required for a career on Wall Street, this podcast is for you. We've made all this advice accessible. Grab your own Thrive Guide with a workbook on leadership skills at christinedelano.com. So put aside that massive to-do list and let's get inspired. We are diving into Wall Street careers and today specifically into the very heart of exchange traded funds. What does it mean to be a product manager? We have Sandra Testani and Greg Trinks with us for this episode. Welcome both of you to the We Talk Careers podcast. Thanks, Christine. Thanks so much, Christine. Great to be here. Oh, it's so great to have you both. So Sandra, let's start with you. Please introduce yourself to our listeners. Thank you. Um, good morning or afternoon, everyone. My name is Sandra Testani. I am the head of ETF product and strategy for American Century Investments. Uh, we are uh, roughly $28 billion issuer of ETFs, um, and we market strategies in the U.S. under the brands of Avantis Investors and American Century, and I'm responsible for both of those. I am based in Fairfield, Connecticut, but work out of our New York office, and I have a seven-year-old daughter. Thank you, Sandra. How about you, Greg? Tell us something about yourself. Sure. Good Good. Uh, good morning. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, so I am uh, the head of U.S. product for Janice Henderson Investors. Uh, I joined Janice uh, earlier uh, this year, so I've been here for about six months now. And as head of U.S. product, I'm you know, partly charged with uh, the ETF development uh, for Janice. You know, I came to Janice from uh, over 20 years at UBS and, and a few years prior to that at uh, Prudential. Got a young family, two young kids, and you know, we reside here in the northern part of the shore in New Jersey. And, uh, and just outside of work and enjoy spending a good deal of time with, uh, with family and friends. Wonderful. Thank you both. Sandra, it's, um, it's good to get to know you. I know we've crossed paths quite a bit in women in ETFs in different capacities, but it's great to have you on the show. And Greg, I think it's fun because it was just what it was just like last week you were messaging me about an episode you would listen to. And I always try to be really good when I tell stories about people on the show that I haven't told them I'm going to tell stories about them. If I haven't, then I try not to mention their name and I try not to like give too many details where people can kind of figure it out because <laughs> I feel like <laughs> people try sometimes like, who are you talking about that did that to you or, or the conversation you had? And so you figured it out of yourself on the show and it immediately alarmed me. Like I went back to the show and I was like, what did I say that? <laughs> and then I was like, oh yeah, of course he recognized himself, but no one else would because it was, you know, just a conversation we had. But it was funny. My blood pressure went up a little bit. I was like, oh, did I mess up? So <laughs> that was great. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, it was it was great to uh, to have stumbled over that. Um, but uh, appreciated uh, just knowing that, you know, that uh, that was something that left, a, you know, that conversation left uh, a little bit of a memory for you. It was uh, very impactful. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it you know, Greg and I have worked together quite a bit when we when our firms work together with UBS and Eaton Vance. And so yeah, it's it's mm -hmm. uh it's good to have this show today. So I'm looking forward to to both of you on this. ETF product managers, like like I mentioned, it's sort of the very heart of exchange traded funds for so many firms. So one thing I would love to drill into is kind of what the challenges and rewards are of ETF careers that revolve around sort of product management. So maybe Sandra, I'll start with you. If you have an idea of like a 
recent day in the life story, something that happened that sort of exemplifies your role? Yeah, um, it's really interesting. I think not atypical to careers uh, in this industry. It's very hard to pick a typical day because there really aren't any typical days. Um, you know, we're always trying to balance both, you know, our long-term strategic goals, but with, you know, shorter term, either market response or client demands. And so, you know, there's very, very few um, kind of routines that are the same, but I would say one of the things that's sort of at least has a process that is sort of consistent, even though the individual components may not be the same, would be like in a, a new product launch, right? So we have a, a really good, solid roadmap that we follow from you know working directly with the investment professionals on an idea and testing with them whether this idea it could potentially, you know, find a home in the marketplace. Is it differentiated? Could we price it effectively? Is it going to add value for clients and have a real home and a fit in client portfolios? And going from there into the iterative process of, you know, governance in internal approvals and ultimately up through our board, you know, we have all of these sort of milestones that we work through, but those interactions can be so different depending on you know what the personalities are that are involved on the investment teams, what the distribution side of the house wants to think about it. Maybe there's a regulatory or a capital markets element. So I would say for me and my role, one of the great things about it is really the way that we sit at the intersection of so many different pieces of the firm and really have to bring it all together and have that collaboration in order to execute in a way that, you know, we can, you know, add value for ultimately, you know, the end investor, which is, I think, everyone's, everyone's uh, collective goal. And when I've known of product managers in the past, I, it's often, they can often take on the role of like a challenger, you know, like people are bringing them ideas and they're always sort of challenging those thoughts by asking great questions. And then some of them seem to be more like consensus building, you know, it's like, okay, always sort of like, yes, and this is who we need to bring in next, you know, and sort of like, almost like a shepherd to the process. Can you put yourself into one of those buckets? Are you one more than the other? Or do you have to wear multiple hats on on all of these? I do think I fall probably more into the multiple hats. I think, you know, the firm that I work with is multi-asset and multi-strategy. And so each individual team that I work with has its own set cast of characters, right? So there may be some teams that are really, really sort of prolific in coming up with new ideas. But, you know, one thing that I would say that is common is most areas are tasked with a specific role, right? If you're on the investment side, for example, your job is really to manage money and to really know the ins and outs of your specific sector or your asset class. You don't necessarily have to have the lens that's more broadly thinking about industry level trends, competitive trends, client needs and preferences. And so the product manager's role is really bringing those influences back and having the perspective to share 
that things may be a good idea, but maybe it already exists, right? Or maybe it's not that differentiated. And so there's a little bit of that pushback that you're saying, but I would say, you know, you do have to um, really be uh, responsive and also flexible in your approach, depending on who you're working with and, you know, what the um, end goal is. Oh, well said. I'm excited to get into some of those skills that you've you've been able to develop because as people see themselves as a potential product manager, I think you're going to help us really understand what what are some of those things people are developing. But Greg, how about you? Anything you can share with us in terms of something that's happened recently that helps exemplify your role? Like I'm excited. You you know, you've moved to a new firm. I mean, wow, you know, <laughs> such a storied career at UBS. Like it's hard to even for me to put your name and not have UBS next to it. So yeah, excited to know about how this role is going for you now. I appreciate that. And it, you know, it's it's been really refreshing and to 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 join a different side of this industry um is something, you know, I've I've thought about doing for for a long time. And uh you know, I think Sandra hit hit the nail on the head with with one key word there, and that's intersection, right? And so whether you're at a distributor, wealth manager, or at an asset manager, you know, the, the role of a product manager sits really at the intersection of every major key stakeholder in the organization, right? You've got you've got your investors, as Sandra mentioned, you've got distribution, you've got marketing, you've got legal and compliance, and all your control partners. Um, and, and so you're really running air traffic, right, on on all of those sort of different groups within the firm, uh, in order to to help the firm accomplish the goals. You know, this week, um, and you know, coming coming into this role from literally 24 years uh, on the distribution client side, very much thinking about everything we, that we do through the client lens. And you know, Sandra brought up the point around just looking at potential new ideas and thinking about what you know the opportunity looks like there. And so, you know, just just this week was really excited to. Uh, to set up some sessions with our distribution partners to think about some of these new ideas that we have, and there's a lot of them, but really to get their sort of initial sort of gut reaction to, to what some of these ideas might mean for them, right? Do they think that they could gain traction? Do they think that it represents where we think as, as a Janus Anderson, we have a right to win? And so, you know, this is all, I think, really important in the development process for, for new ideas. Um, so, you know, it may be that, you know, we think we have a great idea within product or, you know, one of our investors has a great idea. If it's not necessarily marketable, differentiated or solves client needs, then there's a very good chance it could fall flat. And so I think just gaining their pulse is a really important aspect of what we need to do. And, you know, this week uh, was just happened to be one of those weeks where that was a big focus of what we needed to do here, given some of the, the new ideas that we're thinking about. Oh, I love that getting the pulse. I, I know that when I cut my teeth on sort of strategy and M&A work, I got so used to understanding the people around me, like what were their strengths? And a number of the people that were the stakeholders of decisions that we'd have to make would be very opinionated and have strong feelings about especially, you know, risk adjusted rewards. And so I would go into meetings already sort of having my ducks in a row, arguments made, you know, and so then you can sort of really volley for and, you know, attract attention to, to the ideas that you have. And I took a lot of that learning to a new firm and then recognized that like people don't think that way. They were like, oh, Christine, that sounds great. Go with that. And I was like, wait, no, 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 no. <laughs> like too fast. You were supposed to question me. And in that questioning, we were, you know, we were going to figure out a lot more of the risks, you know. And so it was an interesting learning on my side of even if you can be good at what you do at one firm, the stakeholders, the pulse points that you need to learn of everyone that you are working with now, 
And even if it's not a new role, it's just new teams and new people coming in. It really makes a difference in decision making, you know, whether you are the challenger or whether you're the, you know, consensus builder, you really have to sort of shift based on who's in the room, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I think that's, it's fantastic, Greg, that you're already sort of getting your feet under you. I felt like I, I stumbled a bit when I <laughs> came in with some expectations on how people, what the roles were that they had. So good for you. Yeah. Um, so when you're thinking, Greg, about your role, has it changed from being more task oriented to people driven or from people driven to task? Like, where is your comfort spot? And what do you feel like you need to build in this new role for yourself? Yeah, um, you know, I think not even just in this role, but just over the last sort of second half of my career, um, I, you know, I've, you know, I've always been the, the, the sort of taskmaster, if, if you will, in, in particular in the, in the earlier stages of my career. But you know, over the later half of my career, as you, as you move more into the management side and you sort of develop into, into leadership, it ends up being much more focused on the, the people and the collaboration aspect of, of what you do, right? You can, you can tap into the rest of the organization and you can gain leverage, um, you know, as a result of that. And, and, and so it tends to be a bit of both because I think, you know, rolling up your, your sleeves and, and getting into the details is critical. Uh, it's, it's something I just enjoy doing. It helps me learn. And so there's, there's got to be a balance, but recognizing, you know, where you're uniquely positioned to, to do a particular, um, let's say, task versus somebody else in the team. You've got to recognize where your strengths are and where your limits are. And so, you know, tapping into, into the team to, to harness that is, is key. And sometimes you do it alongside them to help learn, right? Uh, but I would say the 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 scales have tipped much more so in uh, onto the side of people and, and collaboration versus you know the the task uh, aspect of of what we do, you know, at least at this stage of the career. Mm -hmm. Sandra, agree? Different thoughts on that? No, I agree completely with the way that uh, Greg described that. I think, you know, obviously the role. <laughs> involves many discrete tasks, right? We have to complete certain steps in order to move on to the process. You know, we're governed by, you know, we've got controls, governance, regulatory requirements, but the path towards success is definitely less about checking boxes and more about sort of gaining consensus, getting that collaboration, influencing certain areas, you know, prioritization. You just really need to have that people side. And it, I think it comes back to, you know, where Greg and I were talking about the intersection. We have the benefit of working across the organization. And I think because of that, those relationships that you build and connecting the dots across different pieces, I think ultimately helps to streamline and, and you know, enable us to get the end actions that we're trying to accomplish, you know, a little bit more smoothly. Yeah, Sandra. So when you're thinking about that with the teams that you're working with, I imagine that a number of people that are in the roles that they are across so many of the teams that you're working with are there because they are really good at getting their job done, right? They're ideally suited for the things that they need to get done. But there's the shift in so many careers that go from being more that task, get it done, to the consensus. So any sort of advice for folks that are finding themselves in I'm really good at getting my job done, but people maybe aren't seeing me as a product manager or seeing me in some of these relationship roles. Have have you worked with anyone through that? Yeah, that's a great question, Christine. And and I do think that it's a natural 
challenging part of, you know, your own career development and also developing others where, you know, a lot of what might have led to success originally may have been sort of under that bucket of individual contributor, right? Like I do something and I do it well. And that's how I therefore have been rewarded, whether it's with, you know, a new role or more responsibilities, et cetera. And then how do you transition that to something that is a little bit less specific uh, in terms of that checklist that often comes with the individual contributor? And And it's hard. And there's no really straightforward one set of rules. I think it's really dependent on the individual and what their strengths are and sort of recognizing what those strengths are and being able to lean into those strengths specifically. So, you know, an individual on my team may be more analytically focused, um, but really getting them to hone in on not just running the analysis, but thinking about the interpretation, like what are the insights that are you're coming from and why would that matter to you know, our sales and distribution teams relative to our executives, like what's important to those audiences. So really pushing the thinking beyond that, that would be one example relative to someone who's maybe a very strong communicator and just really wanting them to hone in on, you know, the communication piece uh, relative to a specific product or strategy. You know, I think it's it's really dependent on the individual, but it, it, it's a challenge and, and it's not a, a sort of straight line necessarily to grow in, in, uh, in that skill set. But what a fantastic piece of advice. I love that, you know, the lens in which we're looking at people by what their interests are, right? You know, so everyone that we're working with have their own goals, have their own interests, have their own things that motivate them. And if we can start seeing them for that so that we know how to better interact and how to better find value in those relationships. I I think that's, that's fantastic. And Greg, knowing you for so many years, you model great relationships. Like you just, you model it well with your teams. You model it well with people watching you with in challenging meetings and challenging discussions. You just do it well. So have you had an opportunity to break down (laughs) <laughs> why you are good at it and have you you know been able to sort of help people get better at that sort of people relationship chops it's very kind of you to hear that you know and i think about perhaps why you're able to say that might be because i try to often put myself in the shoes of those that are sitting on the other side of the table and recognize that they you know they've got a a job to do they have goals and objectives and to the extent that you can help everyone achieve you know their goals and objectives it can it can certainly be very endearing and at the same time you know you've got to, you've got to do what you need to do in your role as well right and so i think there's a, a respectful balance that you can bring to the table anytime in particular when when it's a difficult topic um or there might be competing interests that need to get solved i mean i mean i think for me you know there's a really important part of this part of the conversation around career progression and it's that conversion from a taskmaster to someone who's leading a team and then there's a gray zone in between those two, which is the player coach position, right? And so I always found that the challenge was knowing that your value proposition has always been, I'm a great taskmaster, I can get this done. When you suddenly feel that you need to let that go to a degree, and it's hard when you're the player coach because you're doing both, but giving yourself permission to say, look, like I'm at a point right now where there are people on my team that are better at this than I am now, even though I may have been the best at it five, six, seven years ago. 
you've got to give yourself permission to recognize that and then sort of move forward and think about the bigger picture and think more about being the architect rather than the builder. Uh, I'll never forget someone who I respected a great deal said to me, it's about eight years ago, I asked him if he was going to do X, Y, or Z. And he turned around and looked at me and said, and he was running a large team at the time. He looked at me and said, you do realize I don't actually do any work. I literally go to meetings uh, and I get a lot of information and make decisions and help move things in, in different directions, but I don't actually do any of that anymore. And it was, it was interesting to hear him be so sort of forthcoming about that. And, and that's, you know, there's a certain reality to that. I've seen that go too far where there are folks that's, that will actually say, I mean, he was being a little flip. I, I know he did work, but there are folks that will then take it, I, I think, almost sometimes too far and, and they actually don't get their fingernails dirty um, and, and choose to sort of stay at a certain level. And again, there's a right, I think, probably a right stage in everyone's career where you need to be at that level. But recognizing if you're at that point and should you be doing that or not, I think is really important. Yeah. And, and what a great analogy for parenting as well. We're sort of all at different stages. My kids are, are older than both of yours. And going from that sort of builder mindset to architect mindset to I would even enter into like the financier or investor relationship, which I am, you know, I have a 23 year old now. And when she was in high school, I would want to give her advice all the time and she didn't want any piece of it. And I really learned, you know, like how to step back you know, how to be the coach and now even not even a coach, you know, like friend and, you know, just cheerleader for what she does. But there'll be certain times where she's like, mom, just tell me what do I do? And I'm like, you're in this, like, you know what to do. You're, you know, you're successful in what you're doing. You know, these players, you know, you know what needs to happen. And, um, and I just think my role now is just giving her the confidence to be who she is. And it seems so small, but you know, it, it is my role now, but boy, when she was younger, I was like all in building mode, you know, <laughs> place that block there and shore up over here with the buttress. So, so I think through our parenting, through our careers, we just have this opportunity to always be sort of evaluating what is our role with ourselves, but especially with those around us, because especially with our teams, the more they're successful, the more we will be as well. So mm -hmm. maybe in thinking a little bit about that, I love how concrete you guys have been about what it takes to be in your role, but can we dive a little bit deeper into maybe some specific strengths or qualities that if you were needing to replace yourself in the role that you're in, which I know Greg sounds really early, but you know, just be thinking about sort of that next generation coming up. What are some of the things that you would advise them to be doing now to get there? And Sandra, maybe I'll throw it to you. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can speak for sort of what I think led me to be sort of where I am. And I think it's a, a just a deep curiosity. Like it, you have to really be interested in learning constantly because I entered this industry 20 plus years ago. It's very different today than it was 20 years ago, five years ago, three years ago, and it's going to be very different five years from now, right? So the need to be asking questions and challenging, I think, some, you know, pretty strongly held beliefs that some people that you're going to be working with um, is, is incredibly important. So, you know, I, Greg alluded to it, and, and I agree. I think in this role, you do have to have some proclivity towards doing the work. You know, you have to sort of know and be willing to get into the weeds. But over time, it's really having that detail 
to then sort of be able to raise up and have the conversation at multiple levels, you know, the three minute elevator pitch to uh, an end investor, but also then, you know, a conversation with a board members, you know, I'm sort of thinking through sort of what I would advise. And I would say definitely, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to really, you know, do the work, get your hands dirty and raise your hand. Like I'm not an ETF person by background. I have more of a generalist, you know, investment management, asset allocation, portfolio construction background. And when our firm determined, you know, six plus years ago that they were going to enter the ETF space, I raised my hand. I, I felt like I could understand the nuances of the vehicle, but I had the confidence in the background of working across multiple asset classes, you know, understanding tax management and why that's important for clients. Many of the individual pieces that would lead to being uh, comfortable with the ETF vehicle. So I, I, I think it's many of those things. Oh, so good. And Greg, what about you? What, what are some specific strengths or qualities that people can be brushing up on now? Yeah, I think when you sit at the intersection, um, in particular in a broader product role, um, and obviously ETFs are a big part of that, but when you sit at, at the intersection of all geographic markets, all asset classes, and potentially working with all products, or even just within the uh, ETF ecosystem, you've got various types of ETFs. You know, th there's a lot, right, that you, that you have to have a handle on. And so that coupled with just the volume and number of different projects, uh, whether they're strategic initiatives or, you know, individual product happenings, you know, staying organized is absolutely critical, right? Keeping, keeping the deadlines, thinking about what are the stakeholders you need to engage? When should you engage them? I mean, that, those are all really important sort of strengths to have. I think to the extent that you're, that you're driving change, um, if, you're, if you're viewed as a change agent or even if you just need to, to, to engage the great organization, also being able to influence outside your sphere of direct control is, is really important, right? I think that that's what allows you to sort of help leverage the entire organization. You need to gain buy-in. Sometimes you have to change minds. You know, that can be difficult, right? Sometimes you have to be um, willing to have difficult conversations where you're the challenger and then you should expect to get challenged. Um, and so having those conversations and being effective at that, I think, um, is, a, is an important trait to have. And that's something that you tend to develop it over time by being put in, in uncomfortable positions to begin with. Oh, well done, Greg. So I'm really hoping that our listeners are sitting or whatever they're doing right now and just thinking through some of the things that you said with, you know, being organized, being able to go through deadlines, being able to be both a challenger, but also a defender of, of your positions, finding common ground. And then I just think it's so good to have people sit and think about those things because maybe the role product manager sounds great, you know, like, oh, you know, I, I want to be sitting in that seat. That sounds great. But the nuts and bolts of what you do, is that really a good fit for who I am? And so, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that folks, you know, have this opportunity to be able to ask themselves that question. So I have to ask this before we get to our last question, but because you guys sit in such a cool spot of being in the intersection, as we've, as we've said now a few times, which I'm, I'm really loving that as a description word um, for what you do. What emerging technologies or trends do you think will impact your role in this industry? And um, maybe, Greg, I'll start with you. Sure. 
so I think from a trend standpoint, you know, the way financial advisors and clients continue to engage with, with each other, I think is, is critical, right? As financial advisors spend less time on asset management and more time on holistic wealth and relationship management, you know, it's, it's changing the role of the asset manager and the importance of, 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 of that role and where they bring value. You know, from a, from a technological standpoint and maybe from a product evolutionary standpoint, when I think about, and this is not emerging by any means, but I think that now we're starting to see five, five six, seven years into blockchain, we're starting to see some of the um, sort of material uh, results that, that's coming from that bit of uh, evolution and the impact it's going to have on the securities industry, whether it's, you know, back office settlement efficiencies, whether it's, you know, tokenization, things of that nature. It's really important. You know, specific to the ETF industry, we're seeing a lot of evolution on the heels of the uh, ETF rule from 2019. And that's also leading us as product managers to think differently about the types of ETFs and the and that we're going to issue and the way we might want to bring that relative to the existing products that we already have out there, um, you know, be them you know, mutual funds or others. So uh, a couple of things that, that we're thinking about. Thank you. Those are fantastic to think about. Sandra, what about you? Some emerging technologies that are top of mind for you? Yeah, I was thinking about this less from the lens of technologies necessarily and more from trends, you know, as a firm, you know, American Century has sort of been a, a beneficiary of being involved in the active ETF space, uh, which has definitely seen some rather significant growth in the U.S. over the last several years, you know, maybe on the backs of the ETF rule, as, as Greg alluded to, and, and for other reasons. Um, but there are some other sort of regulatory type developments that we're keeping an eye on that um, have some potential impact. You know, as a firm that's you know, 65 years old and sort of a legacy mutual fund manager, um, you know, some of the things that more recently have we've seen, you know, predominantly in the U.S. are things like, you know, mutual fund to ETF conversions or these new filings that are out with the potential to take a mutual fund and offer an ETF share class. And so, you know, as a product manager and someone who's, you know, closely involved with strategy for the firm, you know, keeping tabs on these filings and the regulatory impact, thinking about whether or not, you know, what the client impact would be if we were to pursue something like that. And if it's something that we should start educating our investment teams and our distribution teams on early uh, to get, you know, get a temperature check. And the, the, those are areas that we're closely monitoring and, and very interested in, in uh, seeing how they come about. Oh, thank you both for giving us so much to think about. We are at our final question. I have so enjoyed this conversation. So thank you both. Going into it, um, I just have a strong belief personally that books and ideas um, help us grow empathy for the world around us, help us you know, stay curious. Um, Sandra, using your word there. Um, which I think is just essential, not only for our jobs, but just good citizenry in this world. So, so I love books. Um, I love writing them and I love reading them. So uh, maybe starting with you, Greg, is there a book recommendation um, that you're reading now or that you have read that you would like to offer to our listeners? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I love hearing uh, your other guests as well and some of the ideas that they have. So, I mean, one of the books I, I think that's one of my absolute favorites that I most often recommend is a book uh, by Matthew Walker, Why We Sleep. Uh, it's a sleep science book. Uh, and I just became you know, fascinated by this uh, a couple of years ago and the impact that it can have on your health. I'm actually just uh, finishing up now Outlive uh, by Dr. Peter Atia, which is a book on longevity. And uh, ironically, within this book, he actually covers subsets of Why We Sleep. So if you don't want to go through the entire sleep book, you could you could get the uh, the cliff notes in the other book, Outlive. But, but both of them really are focused on, on longevity and, and uh and you know, well-being and health. 
Thank you. Thank you. Sandra? Well, those are great recommendations. I haven't read either of those, Greg. I want to need to need to dig into those. Um, I, uh, I have a commute. I'm a commuter. So I've got, you know, pretty solid, long chunk of time uh, to and from the office. So I'm pretty avid reader. And right now I'm actually reading fiction. Uh, and I like to, I do like to mix it up, but um, biographies on, on the nonfiction side, uh, oftentimes, but right now I'm reading a fiction book called uh, Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. It's um, mm. sad and, uh, but very poignant. It's kind of described as the you know, uh, modern day take on David Copperfield, but based in Appalachia and kind of looks at a lens of a um, orphaned child from the opioid epidemic. So mm. really, really fascinating uh, yes. take on that. And so sad. My daughter's down in Nashville in public health. She's going to Vanderbilt and working with the Tennessee Department of Health and a lot is on Appalachia and just getting information out and just the stories coming out, the data that she, that she sees. It's it's incredible. So yeah, thank you for that. Barbara Kingsolver is an amazing author, Poisonwood Bible and a number of them too, but I haven't read this one. So thank you both for adding to our virtual bookshelf. I appreciate it. And thank you both for your time. I really appreciate having you both on the show. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having us, Christine. It's been, it's been great to, uh, to be on the show. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us hope this is not just information, but you let it be transformational in how you think about your career. I'm rooting for you. If you're an Apple user, I'd really appreciate it if you took a few seconds to leave a rating and a review. Your ratings and reviews tell Apple that this is a podcast worth listening to. And in turn, your reviews will help We Talk Careers get in front of more listeners looking to succeed, just like you. And while you're there, go ahead and hit that follow button because there's going to be another brand new episode and you don't want to miss it. Until then, keep thriving. Thank you for listening.